We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the Bear Report Podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears for the Bear Report website. The podcast is powered by Overtime Media. Now, here's Zach and Aaron. Welcome in, Bears fans, to another edition of the Bear Report podcast. Training camp practices to the media are officially closed, and that means football season is just under two weeks away. We'll actually have some NFL games next week uh, on Thursday as the Houston Texans travel to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. But this show is all about the Bears. We're going to talk some more Bears about training camp, the scrimmage that happened on Saturday, maybe some running back rumors. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Pearson. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Lemming. Aaron, how's it going, man? It's going. It's kind of crazy to think that, I mean, this time next week, we're going to be recording the week one podcast. Like I'll be writing, you know, week one articles. You'll be writing week one articles. Um, But we're recording this on a Tuesday, right? Yeah. Tuesday night. I mean, we're, we're a little over a week away from the actual start of the regular season with, you know, the season kicking off on Thursday. It's, it's crazy to think that next weekend, we will have some decent college football games, not great, but some decent college football games and the NFL will be in full swing. It's kind of hard to believe at this point. Yeah. I mean, we did have that one college football game last Saturday. I don't know if you watched any of it for me. It was like, I put it on for like the first 20 minutes and I was like, man, football's back. This is awesome. And there was actually fans in the stands down there in Alabama. It was really socially distanced, but you know, it kind of felt like, I don't know if you've ever watched like a, um, like a mountain West or like, maybe a Mac game like during the week that was only like a hundred fans, but it's still, you could still tell there was fans. That's exactly what it was. And it was great. I turned it off like in the second quarter or so and then turned it back on for the finish. But, you know, I, I'm just glad we're getting college football. We're getting NFL football. Um, you know, maybe the fall's totally not lost after all. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, it definitely seems like we're actually going to get some football. I mean, big tens, it sounds like, at least from what Dan Patrick said, that sounds like they could be back in, uh, October, which is good. Cause I have a yep. few friends that are pretty big, big 10 fans and one's a big Ohio state fan and might happen to live in the same house. So it would be, uh, it, it would be good to have that, you know, that, that, that type of football going on, especially because it's kind of not really fun when, you know, Oklahoma is going to be playing and then the big 10 was going to be sitting out. So it'll be nice, man. I, you know, and I could be wrong because football is obviously a different sport, but at least for me um, watching baseball and, you know, and granted I haven't watched really any Stanley cup playoffs or any basketball or anything like that, but at least with baseball, I think in in MMA for that matter, I'm so used to no fans being in the stands where I just don't think it's going to be as big of a viewing factor as a lot of people think. I think that we're going to be more glad that the game itself is going to be back and that things are actually going to be going on. Um, And I I just don't think, you know, there's going to be some 
some teams, I think the Saints said starting week three that they're going to have fans and there's some other fan, other teams are going to have fans as well. So it'll be kind of a mixed bag, but I, I don't think it's going to be quite as crazy different as maybe it would have been if the NFL would have kind of let off the sports world. Yeah, it kind of just varies. It varies with college too. Like the, the fan situations all over the board. It'll be very interesting to see um, what goes on. And, you know, that, that first game that obviously the Bears playing will be with no fans. Detroit's already announced that there, there probably will not be any fans at Soldier Field all year. But that first game between the Texans and Chiefs will have some fans. Uh, I, I believe their capacity is like close to fourteen to 16,000 for that game. But, yeah, I mean, here we are, Aaron. We're just like – Yes, said, just under two weeks away, and the Bears have kind of officially wrapped up training camp, at least the open practices to the media. We're still allowed at House Hall, um, you know, throughout the week, but it's kind of like the regular season rules. We only get to see 15 to 20 minutes of practice. We can't go into our desks or the workroom there. It's kind of show up for 15, 20 minutes, uh, leave, and then get on for the press conferences. So that's going to be different. But we learned a lot, man, about the Bears this uh, these past two weeks. And, you know, going into this week was a pretty big week for this team in the position battles, mainly the quarterback position. They had their scrimmage on Saturday, which is something that I really want to talk to or talk about because that was kind of like the final hurrah for the media in terms of viewing the practice. So we're going to get into all of that. I want to do want to hit our first break of the show, get that out the way, come back and talk a little bit about the latest news going around with the Bears and a potential running back target. We'll be right back after this. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And welcome back in here to the Bear Report Podcast. Yeah, Aaron, so, you know, before that break, we were talking about training camp kind of wrapping up. The biggest news last week for the Bears was David Montgomery. He got hurt last Wednesday. Um, He was taking the first 15 minutes of practice right after stretching. They were just doing basic handoffs, and he tried. It looked like he tried to plant his foot and kind of slept and went down. And you know, we had to kind of keep it under wraps the media while practice was going on. But yeah, man, at first for me, when I saw him out there, it looked pretty ugly. I thought it was ACL, something with the knee, um, complete tear somewhere. And I was like, this is worst case scenario for the Bears. I thought Montgomery's due for you know a big year. And then after practice, we learned it's just a growing injury, and he's expected to miss two to four weeks. Now. Fast forward to um, earlier yesterday on, on Monday and Leonard Fournette's released by the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. And he's a, a top free agent target right now on the market, aside from probably Jadavian Clowney. For me, I think it makes sense for the Bears to bring him in. I don't think he fits their offensive system, but I think he's a good enough player where you make it work. And, you know, if Montgomery is out two to four weeks, at least you do have Fournette there to kind of take over that lead role. And maybe Montgomery – kind of sits the, that full four weeks or maybe five weeks and, and it kind of gets to 100%. Well, can we first reflect on how dumb it is that you guys are at practice and you see an injury happen? You can't tweet it out. You can't say anything about it. But then 15 minutes after the fact, you can ask Matt Nagy and he can explain the injury. Uh, that, right. To me, that doesn't make any sense. That I, I just, I, I'm sorry. I just had, I had to, I had to say something, but in terms of Fournette, um, <clears throat> obviously the David Montgomery thing. And here's the thing: I, I understand, I understand that uh, Ian Rappaport came out and said it's expected to be a two to four week injury. Right? We we got no confirmation from the Bears at this point. Anybody expecting confirmation at the Bears from the Bears at this point? I mean, it's just not going to happen. That to me, two to four weeks seems pretty optimistic. I mean, looking and granted, I'm not a doctor, um, but looking at the injury, I mean, that looked like a pretty pretty severe strain of the groin and you know uh at least him from what I've been told before and this has always kind of been my understanding is a strain to anything like that is usually a small tear so I think that two to four weeks is pretty optimistic I know that some are saying maybe he might be ready for week one at this point I don't see that being likely and it's also one of those things where 
if you told me that he's going to miss the first, let's just say that he had to miss the first four weeks of the season and that he would come back and he would be completely healthy and there would be no concerns or that you rushed him back within the first one or two weeks of the season, obviously you want him healthy and you want him there for the remainder of the season. So I think, and this is my personal take, I think with David Montgomery, I think the Bears need to take their time. And again, that's not to not to take away from the season that I was expecting them to have because I think that he was going to have a good season. I, th- I still think he can. With that being said, looking at the running back depth, you've got Tariq Cohen, who's not, a, you know, not a full-time running back. You've got uh, Patterson, who's also not a full-time running back. You've got Ryan Nall, who um, seems to be more preseason and training camp hype than anything else at this point. And then Artavis Pierce, who I actually like, has some good speed but he's a rookie and he's an undrafted rookie at that. So you, and I guess Napoleon Maxwell, I I really don't understand why they needed to fill that roster spot with, you know, five days left before, you know, the, the cut down period, which is also, I guess, a good, good time to say the cut down period is Saturday at 4 PM Eastern. Every single team has to go from 80, 80 players to 53. So, I mean, we're recording this on a Tuesday. By the time most people listen to it, there's going to be, you know, a day or two, maybe three, um, before the cut down period so that's that's worth mentioning just because of how different this offseason has been and because there's no fourth preseason game going on in two days uh you know we're not re- we're not really used to the same timeline but in terms of in terms of Fournette I think Fournette makes sense because he's that's the thing if you go back and you look at his numbers and you look at the issues that he had in Jacksonville a lot of it has been more off the field or in the locker room issues when you look at, you know, uh, off the field stuff, right? And then you look at on the field stuff, and the only issue that he's had, it's not been production, it's been health. The fact that can he stay on the field and be healthy? And here's the thing. I've always been uh, somebody who doesn't believe in paying running backs. I've, you know, even if, even if David Montgomery goes out and, you know, has a really good year this year and has two more good years, I'm still going to be leery of paying somebody over, you know, five or $6 million a year, because especially in this day and age, especially how much quarterbacks are making the value of running backs and how expendable that is and how seemingly easy it is for a lot of teams to pick up guys in late rounds or even undrafted free agents or cheaper free agents. Uh, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to sink a decent amount of, you know a portion of the cap into a running back with that being said I think a guy like Leonard Fournette you know he's, he's already owed four million uh, by the the Jaguars and apparently because of the suspension that he had they were able to avoid that and now he's going to fight that whatever it doesn't matter the, the reality is is there's teams with cap space out there but there's not a lot of teams looking to spend that cap space because right now um, 2021 is going to have a minimum salary cap of 175. It's going to go down regardless. It's just going to be a matter of how much it goes down. A lot of that's going to have to do with fans and how much revenue they get out of everything. You know, just kind of keeping that in mind here, Leonard Fournette's not going to sign for much. Any free agent that you see sign right now is not going to sign for much. And especially when you're talking a running back, especially a guy that got cut this close uh, to the beginning of the regular season. So, I think it absolutely makes sense to bring him in because then you can take your time with Montgomery. Then you can bring him back and you can kind of have that two headed monster because I mean, you know, Tariq Cohen is a gimmick back and you know, Patterson has other values outside of taking a few snaps at running back as well. I don't think you can have enough run, you know, enough depth at running back. And especially if you're talking cheaper guys like Montgomery, who's on a rookie contract, Tariq Cohen, who's on a rookie contract. And then obviously Fournette's not going to be getting anything over, I'd guess two or 3 million. Uh, so I think it makes sense stylistically. Maybe he's not the best match, but I think at this point in time, you're just kind of hoping that you can get production out of a run game where it produces, you know, even if you don't have that thousand yard rusher, if you have two consistent rushers that are kind of, you know, the committee type backfield, you're hoping that it can produce a normal number uh, at the running back position, whether that be, you know, 15 to 1700 yards total, stuff like that. So, I mean, I don't, I don't see, any reason why they shouldn't add him in terms of play. I do question if the bears are going to make a move like that. And I do question just because of some of the off the field stuff that he has had, whether that's locker room, whatever it may be people, you know, people have their own takes on that. I do question if he's going to be a fit with, uh, you know, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy at this point. I don't know if it's a culture fit, but if it is, and they're really willing to look into them, there's been a few reports from random people saying that the Bears are interested. Uh, they're, I think they're their odds on betting favorite at a few different places. I mean, it, if it's a fit, absolutely make it happen. But I just, I, that's kind of where 
him, you know, him making sense for the Bears, absolutely. Him actually being a part of the Bears and the Bears signing him, that's where I have the question. Yeah, I'm with you too. And, you know, the Bears really have to upgrade this run game. And part of that, you know, maybe is a talent at running back. I think Montgomery had a, a fine rookie season. I think he was due for a – um, a big breakout campaign here in his sophomore year prior to this injury. But now you have a need for a running back because, like you said, I mean, two to four weeks is pretty much being generous. It's going to probably be more in the range of six weeks, seven weeks uh, for Montgomery to come back, barring, you know, a, a miracle comeback, I'd say. I, he's definitely not playing week one. I don't think he'll play week two, two either. So you have a need for a running back. And, and, and right now, Fournette is probably the top target out there. I mean, Devontae Freeman's still out there. I'd rather take my chances with Fournette and bringing them in. And, and people like to bring up Spencer Ware when talking about replacements. Bears had a chance last year to get Spencer Ware and, and bring him in, and they didn't do that. So I think that ship's kind of sailed. I would, go, I would go Montgomery if I were the Bears. I think, you know, when you have a chance to bring in a player like that, um, you know, even with the, the off-the-field off stuff and, you know, to kind of boost up your run game going into the season, I would take that chance. Now, like you said, he's cleared waivers already um I, I don't expect he will be unsigned very long and heck he, I mean he could he could sign during the show with the team and, and uh we won't know just yet so yeah I would lean towards them so the Bears going after him I, I would like it I'd like the move I think you know like you said Vegas does know something I mean wasn't Vegas the uh didn't the Bears weren't the Bears the favorites according to Vegas for Khalil Mack two years ago if I yeah, I think you might be right. I mean, there's been a few different things that they've been favorites on. So I mean, obviously Vegas knows some things. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just one of those things. I mean, just to give you an idea, because there's been a report that the the Saints are willing to trade Alvin Kamara because apparently he wants more than 12 million a year, and the Bears are second highest odds um, to get him outside of basically to play week one. It's the Saints, yeah, and then the Bears are second. So. You know, I, I, I don't – and I don't know where that's all coming from. I don't know if that's coming from a place of the Bears think that Montgomery may miss more time or if it's just an obvious connecting the dots. I don't know. I don't – you know, that's the same thing with Fournette. I mean, all these odds and all these ties that people are making, I don't know if it's because they think it's an obvious fit because Montgomery's down or if it's there's actually some steam to it because maybe the Bears aren't as confident in Montgomery or the more likely case maybe Montgomery's injury is a little bit more serious and maybe if they were to get another running back of that caliber they would think about maybe just IRing him and then bringing him back mid-year I don't know I don't know and that's kind of the thing unfortunately we're not really in a position to know one way or another whether this is just guesswork connecting dots because of a need or if there's actually something behind it. Yeah, and the depth behind Montgomery, I mean, do you really trust Cordell Patterson and Tariq Cohen to really take on the workload? And behind them, it's Ryan Nall and Artavis Pierce, and they brought back Napoleon Maxwell. I wouldn't feel comfortable. I think, you know, um, Fournette would probably be the – makes the most sense. The the, the the Camara stuff is a little weird because you saw the report that, you know, he demanded a trade, and then I forgot where it came out nationally um, was that uh, – so one of the reporters said that they did not ask for a trade. They spoke to Kamara, but there is some issues with the contract, obviously. I mean, let's make it clear. The Saints can afford Alvin Kamara. It's just going to be a decision on whether they want to pay him or not in that offense. You look, I mean, you have Drew Brees, who, you know, he's, he's kind of in the last years of his career. You have Jameis Winston, but you're not going to build around Jameis Winston. They're not going to build around Taysom Hill, no matter how much they, 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 they say they want to. It's just not going to happen. You have to pay a lot of guys, and the Saints could be a team that are going to try to rebuild on the fly. And do you want to pay, you know, a running back the big bucks to, to stay in your offense after, I mean, after years we've seen running backs kind of break down, you know, a lot. So it's definitely a position that's not, you know, going to get the high longer contracts anymore. So we'll have to keep an eye on Kamara as well. Let's, uh, let's kind of shift gears here, Aaron and talk a little bit more about training camp and kind of what has happened over the past week. The last time we talked, you know, obviously the quarterback battle uh, was ongoing, defensive back battle, safety battle. And for me, you know, I found, a, I found some things interesting over the past week in terms of the safety battle and the defensive back battle. And I look at safety, and it's been primarily Deion Bush with the ones, taking the most reps with the, with the one team. Um, and you know, now, I mean, we both said, it. if you were to say months ago that, that, uh, Deion Bush was going to be the starter or the front runner to start, we would have called you crazy. 
now I really think it is his job to lose. Well, and, you know, we, we kind of touched on it last week. Clearly the Bears like Deion Bush more than we do. And, and again, stylistically, it comes down to Chuck Pagano last year had a situation where he had basically two free safeties back there. And, frankly, the loser of that was Eddie Jackson. And I think maybe, just maybe, they want to go back to a more traditional free safety safety role or free safety strong safety role where you're going to have Eddie Jackson as that center fielder and you're going to have, you know, somebody like Deion Bush playing closer to the line of scrimmage. And if that is his role and if that is what they want, then I think he makes more sense because Gibson is definitely the better uh, guy in coverage between the two, obviously, but at the same time, he's not nearly as physical as Bush. Obviously there's, there's, that's the thing is there's pluses and minuses to this. Although, and maybe you can confirm, I mean, there's been quite a bit of talk saying that Deion Bush has actually looked pretty good and he's actually looked yep. pretty rangy. So, yeah, he has. Yep. You know, and that's kind of the thing. So you look at that, that battle and here's the thing with Gibson, right? You're still going to have good depth. There's no guarantee that either one of those guys are going to, you know, either one of the starters, if Bush was a start, would be able to stay healthy all year because it's football. You can't guarantee any of that. So you have good depth there. And here's the thing. If, if Jackson goes down, you put Gibson at free safety. If, uh, if Bush goes down or he doesn't perform, then you just put Gibson out there at safety and you go back to kind of the, you know, the, 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 the interchangeable safety thing that they were doing last year. So, I mean, obviously if you'd have told me this three weeks ago, I'd have been pretty surprised, but I think that, you know, just judging off of what you said and kind of the snap count and stuff like that, I mean, it seems pretty evident where this is trending. Now, the more curious thing to me <clears throat> is, you look at cornerback, right? And you you look at the situation there. Obviously, Kyle Fuller is going to start. Buster Screen is going to start at nickel. There's been some talk that he could slide outside, and then in nickel situations, he could slide back in, and they could, you know, bring in whoever it is. Artie Burns went down with an injury. Michael Joseph went down with an injury. Not that he was in the mix for anything anyway. But point being here is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like if the Bears really liked Kevin Tolliver, uh, I feel like he would have got the first shot over Artie Burns to begin with. And I feel like they would feel more confident with him now. And it doesn't really seem like they do. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective, one on that. And then two, Jalen Johnson seems to be getting healthier and there's reports out there that he's been making plays. It's like, is, is he taking more snaps and is he trending to be, you know, the, the, the starting corner opposite of uh, Kyle Fuller at this point? Yeah, I would agree. I still go back to the Burns thing. Is they maybe they just wanted to give him a look on that, on that day one with the first team. As for Johnson, though, he was not. He was at the scrimmage. He did not participate in the scrimmage. Uh, if you remember, I believe I, I can't remember if it was before or after the scrimmage. He posted on Twitter that he was um, fully cleared to go. He was there. Um, he really wasn't doing much work on the field with the teams, but he was. You know, in between. Um, in between like drives, he'd be on the other side of the field, running sideline to sideline to kind of get warmed up and stuff like that. In terms of practices at Hallis Hall, yeah, he's gotten his fair share of run with the first team. Um, they're kind of just interchanging everyone. It's so, you know, it's so hard to kind of see where everyone is and where everyone um, kind of stands with that first and second team outside of, you know, the obvious ones because they're just, they're interchanging so much. I mean, there's the, every play they're interchanging players and trying to get third stringers reps with the first team. It's, you know, I can't really count many times where it's been the full uh, first team against the full or first team offense against the first full team defense. They just been mixing everything in. So, yeah, I I mean, I'd say right now, Jalen Johnson's chances are looking more and more good that he, he will be the starter come week one. I wouldn't be shocked if they do go the, the Kevin Tolliver route either and then kind of work in Johnson, but I'm fairly confident we're going to see Johnson have that starting job at some point this year, and I'd be very shocked if, if he didn't keep it because, I mean, look at him. He, if you watch the tape, he's like built for this defense. He, he's, he's, he's kind of rangy. He's physical. He likes to play aggressive. He's long. He kind of brings that, that swagger and that, um, that confidence to the defense that, that we've seen on plenty of these players over the years. So I'd be very shocked if, if we didn't see Johnson, you know, not only start week one, but, I mean, if he didn't even take over if, if Tolliver started. I'm fairly confident we're going to see Johnson eventually be the, week, or be the starter. 
And before we move on from corner, this is kind of another interesting thing that kind of developed over the last few days and talking about cuts, you know, some of these veterans are getting cut and another one that got cut. Well, really second time this off season is Prince of Mucamora. I mean, he got cut from the bears really mainly due to a money issue. And then all of a sudden he goes to the Raiders on basically a vet minimum deal and gets cut there. And I, I don't know. I, I look at it as if they really don't like Kevin Tolliver, if they're really not confident in him, which I personally don't think they are. And I think some of their actions going back to even last training camp uh, kind of showed that they weren't really that confident in him either. I don't know what it would be. I honestly don't mind Tolliver at all. Maybe he's not, you know, the, the prospect that a lot of people had a, as a second or third round grade on coming out of LSU, but I still think he's, you know, a decently productive guy and he's young and he's controllable. But at this point, it's like, do you bring Prince of Mookamore back? Not to not to come in and be the starter, but to just bring him back and have that depth and kind of give that safety blanket because you know he knows the defense. He's not the same player he was. Obviously, there's a reason he got cut in Oakland because Oakland's DBs aren't that good. But he's familiar with the scheme. He's familiar with the team. He's familiar, you know, players, everything like that. I almost kind of wonder if that may be a move. If they really don't like Tolliver, they're really not – comfortable with their cornerback depth and they would rather have somebody else to kind of rotate in if they need to or just provide that solid depth almost kind of wonder prince of mukamara may not be a bad option to bring back at that minimum and kind of have him moonlight and kind of be behind johnson and if anything happens or johnson has a setback whatever it is then you've got him and you kind of know what you're getting out of him he's not great but i i still think he's you know at least more established than somebody like Tolliver. Yeah, I mean, the vet minimum thing is probably the key there. They're not going to want to pay him, you know, a ton of money to come back and, and serve as the third or fourth, you know, string defensive back. I'd personally say that I think they'd be more, you know, more encouraged to go with Buster Screen on the outside if they have to. He has been getting some reps out there. The problem with that is, is, you know, you, you slide him to the outside – is Duke Shelley really ready to take over in the slot? I don't think he really is. And, and that's going to create a problem in the slot because, I mean, you know, this, in today's NFL games, you know, it's not – when you go up against Devontae Adams, Devontae Adams is not just playing on the outside all the time. You know, he's in the slot. He's working different positions. You know, same Kenny Galladay. Players like that, they're working – wide receivers are working all over the field. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable right now with Duke Shelley being the um, slot corner if they shift his screen outside. It is an option. Screen has talked about it. He said, "Is Duke Shelley what, even going to make the team?" That's another thing. I mean, dude, he was he was getting burned by uh, Darnell Mooney in that scrimmage, and he did not look very yeah, good. That's in what I'm saying. Scrimmage. I don't even know. And that I, I mean, don't even who, know if Shelley's going to make the team at this point. Exactly. And then who do you slide in after him? I mean, I, personally, I don't feel confident in anyone in the slot except for Buster Screen right now. Well, and that's kind of the thing, right? So you look at it, and that's kind of why, like, I, and I like Buster Screen more than most people, which is funny because I didn't like the move when they made it at all. But it people acting like Buster Screen was, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. But if I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, you've got Kyle Fuller and you've got Buster Screen in the slot, don't sacrifice the nickel position and move screen. If you want to move screen outside when you go in two, two corners, okay, that's fine. But when you're talking nickel as a whole, I, I don't think a nickel defense as a whole, I think you need to have screen on the outside because you don't want to make not only the nickel worse because the thing is a screen's undersized and he's not the greatest in coverage, especially when you're asking him to cover on the boundary. Maybe back when he's with the Browns, maybe even a little bit with the Jets, he's not the same player that he used to be. I mean, he's getting older, whatever. It is what it is. He's a, he's a fine nickel. I don't know that moving him and I, I just don't know that moving him from the nickel and keeping him completely outside and then moving somebody else in and the nickel makes any sense. I mean, the only other guy would be Sherrick McManus. And I would assume at this point, he's probably going to make the roster just purely due to versatility. But even that, like you're still sacrificing, not only are you going to be worse on the outside than you would have hoped to be because Johnson may not be ready or whatever the, whatever the case may be, or you don't trust Tolliver, but now you're making the nickel position worse. At this point, I think it's kind of one of those things where you either go with Tolliver, uh, if you want to bring in a Mukamara, cool, or if you're just going to say, screw it and let, you know, if Jalen Johnson's cleared, let him play. You, you, you spent a second round pick on him in a draft when you didn't have a first round pick. He was your second overall, your second overall pick in your draft. You, play him. I, I mean, I just, I just don't know we talked about this a few times, you know, different situations over the years where I don't always think that moving, and obviously this isn't your idea because this has been talked about as a whole, but I just don't, sometimes I don't think that moving one guy out of a position 
to feel more comfortable in another position where he's not going to be that good. And then sacrificing on top of that, then you're sacrificing the play that you would get from screen in his normal position and nickel. I just don't, it feels like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul and you're actually hurting yourself at two spots rather than one. I, I mean, and again, like you said, and that's the thing, this just doesn't go for Devontae Adams. This goes for guys like Allen Robinson, too. This goes for a lot of different receivers in the league where a lot of these guys line up in the slot quite a bit because they want to move them around. They want to have the mismatches. You might as well just keep screen inside in the nickel and – you know, say, screw it, what, whatever it may be. If you want to bring Mukamara back, cool. If, if you trust Tolliver, then that's fine. If you feel Jalen Johnson's ready, that's fine. But I just don't think that they should sacrifice two downgrades at, the, you know, at two of the three corner spots. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think, you know, Matt Nagy did say yesterday in his press conference following practice, he said, you know, Jalen Johnson's ready. He's full go. He's, he's ready to go. He's going to get out there. So that kind of tells me that, you know, he, he's either going to win that starting job week one or he's gonna, they're going to ease him into that eventually to be the starter. Maybe they go Kevin Tolliver to start the game and, and Johnson takes over some point during the game or even week two. That's not the possibility either. The other option is they might – I mean, what if they interchange these safeties, go a little more dime package too? That's another option uh, that we could see this year. I think they're going to do a lot of stuff. They're going to be very aggressive. Chuck Pagano's going to be very aggressive this year with his secondary. And I think, you know, typically when you look at Chuck Pagano's defenses, they, they tend to play well in another year in the system. I think that's going to be the case this year. I think they're going to interchange these safeties. I think they're going to be aggressive. They might interchange – heck, they might be interchanging Kevin Tolliver and Jalen Johnson at times if they have to. So – We'll see. It'd be something to keep an eye on. Uh, but it does sound like Jalen Johnson is, is ready to go. He's a full go uh, as the Bears ramp up for week one. Aaron, let's get into our second break of the show. I want to talk about a standout during the scrimmage, uh, a player that's really caught my eye. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back into the Bearport podcast. And, and Aaron, sitting there at Soldier Field on Saturday, it was a, it was a little odd, no fans. The, the volume was way up on the crowd noise. It was kind of crazy. But – one player that really caught my eye when the Bears were scrimmaging, and let me make this clear. When I say scrimmage, it was still, you know, a team scrimmage, but it was a very controlled situational scrimmage. Um, to put a good example, Mitch Trubisky's first three plays, he got the first drive with the ones. He converted a first down on second down. They moved it back and said, we're going to do a third down play. And then he had three plays and Nick Foles came in and Nick Foles, you know, may, might've gone three and out, but they extended the drive. So it was a very controlled situational scrimmage. One guy I was very impressed with on Saturday's practice, rookie wide receiver Darnell Mooney. I saw him get open plenty of times, not only using his speed, but his route running was really impressive as well. And, and I saw him beat Duke Shelley a couple times deep. Uh, Foles missed him twice deep. Trubisky missed him once deep. But just watching him play and watching him run routes, slants and outs and goes, stuff like that, he was very sharp. And, and he was a guy that really caught my eye. I think the Bears have – a steal in Darnell Mooney. I think, you know, going into the season, we kind of thought maybe he'd be behind Ted Ginn on the um, depth chart and, and have to earn his reps through special teams and things like that. I really don't know if if um, that's the case moving forward here into week one. I think he's going to have a lot bigger role than we thought. Now, overall for camp, I mean, uh, watching camp and, and looking at these players – I'm starting to like what I see. I think this defense um, is going to be, an, again, a top 10 defense with a, defense with a chance to be a top five. I think Robert Quinn, the, the signing of that and getting Akeem Hicks back is really going to help this defense. But if I was very, very impressed with this defensive line, particularly Bilal Nichols and Roy Robertson-Harris, I thought of all the players on defense, they probably had the most consistent camp day in and day out, creating pressures in the backfield, um, recording a couple sacks. I mean, you can't really hit the quarterback, so they blow them dead. Things like that. I mean, they were just all over the field um, on that defense, just day in and day out. I don't think they really even had a bad day, which is a big positive. And I think for, in Nichols' case, they're going to use him more as that nose tackle to fill in for Goldman. But they also have John Jenkins back there, and they can shift guys around. We might see package where, where Jenkins is a nose tackle, and to his right is Bilal Nichols, to his left is um, Roy Robertson-Harris, and you insert Akeem Hicks in for one of those guys, things like that. I think they're going to really mix things up on that defensive line. And if Jay Rogers has said one thing consistently throughout this offseason, it's the defensive linemen have to be versatile. They have to be able to play anywhere on that line and, and do what we ask them to do, and I think that's the approach the Bears are going to go with. 
Um, you know, on offense, if I had to pick some standouts, I would go with the tight end position. I don't – I'll say this. I don't think it's hard to, you know, beat the production that the tight ends had last season because, I mean, spoiler alert, it was pretty bad. I mean, they were historically bad for the franchise. But it's not just being that production. It's having three guys at tight end that give you targets in the passing game or solid run blockers or solid pass protectors. And every day, I mean, Jimmy Graham, Cole Komet, Demetrius Harris, Eric Sauber, Jesper Horstead, J.P. Holtz, they were making plays, and the group looks rejuvenated. I think they kind of, in a way, needed that swagger from Jimmy Graham. They needed a veteran to come in and, you know, Jimmy Graham's spiking the football and he's yelling after he's making catches, things like that. I think this tight end position really needed that moving forward. And then you talk about Cole Komet, and all you hear all offseason is just how smart he is, how he's picked up the playbook, how kind of the game has slowed down a little bit for him at the NFL level. That's what you really want to hear. I think this tight end position is going to be very, very well. And, and if I had to pick some standouts, for me, it would be tight end position on offense and Bilal Nichols and Roy Robertson-Harris on defense. And those are my biggest ones. I mean, obviously there's other guys – you know, standing out here and there. I, I actually like what I saw from Riley Ridley over the last couple of practices. And even Javon Wims has had some couple of solid practices. So overall, I, I mean, I think there's improvement there. Now they just, you know, they have to go out and prove it on the field. So you kind of, you mentioned Darnell Mooney and I've noticed quite a few people mentioning not only just his speed, because I think we all knew he was fast, but just how good his route running has been and how well he's carried himself, how well he's done in meetings. So I'm kind of curious because this is, this has been something that I like, because I, I, you know, just did a roster projection, just trying to kind of get an idea. And I'm kind of curious to get your perspective. Cause like you said, you know, he could be getting meaningful snaps right out of the gate. Does that make Ted Ginn expendable at this point? I mean, that, that's the thing is I, I think I remember hearing some decent things on Ted Ginn the first like one or two practices. And then after that, it's been all Mooney. I mean, his, his Mooney just simply outperformed a guy like Ted Ginn. Um, I would say that Mooney has probably had the better camp, but Ted Ginn hasn't been awful. I mean, Ted Ginn's been making plays. Uh, he had a couple in the scrimmage. He, he he's, he's a veteran. I think they're going to keep around. Um, you know, when you, when you do talk about surprise cuts, Hey, maybe he's a guy that, he comes down, you know, you come down and you need to keep an extra player at this position. Maybe he's expendable and you kind of let him go. The, the salary hits really not that much on his contract. Either way, you could justify keeping him and you could justify cutting him. But, I mean, if Mooney keeps us up and his team is really, really likes Mooney and he keeps him pressing in the final week here um, of training camp before they got to make the cut September 5th, I think it's definitely possible. I, I, I'm doing a roster projection as well. And, I do have them keeping Ginn. I have them keeping Mooney, obviously, the two at the top, and Robinson and Miller. I don't have Patterson as a wide receiver to put him in the running back spot. But I do have them keeping both Riley Ridley and Javon Wims. I kind of went – the guy I was kind of going back and forth on was Javon Wims. And I didn't know if I wanted to put him on the practice squad or the active roster. I would say Javon Wims is probably – you know, more safe right now in terms of, you know, going to the practice squad or making the roster. But, uh, but I mean, he's also at a solid camp as well. So I would say, yeah, Ted Ginn is probably a little expendable. I do think they're going to keep him though, just because Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace know, I mean, you know, all offseason, they've had a need for speed. They need speed on that offense. And I think you just can't get enough of it with wide receivers. That makes sense. I mean, it, it's, and kind of like you pointed out, I guess a lot of it's going to be, where they project Patterson to be at. If they project him to be as a running back, which at this point in time maybe makes the most sense because you'd have Cohen, uh, basically you'd have Cohen, Patterson, and then I guess you could keep Nall and Pierce if you wanted to. I kind of still have the feeling that they'd probably keep one or the other at this point. Uh, you know, and if, if they project him there, then maybe they do keep six receivers. You know, it's kind of one of those things where I think – the balance in terms of what you're looking at, because there's a few different kind of like slower injuries, right? Because you have the, you have the David Montgomery injury and then you look at the offensive line and you got a guy like Alex bars who, you know, he has a knee sprain and he was considered day to day. Who knows if he's going to be ready to go at the very beginning of the season. Um, You know, so that's kind of another question is, you know, if you're really trying to figure out how many players are going to keep at you know each position it's kind of tough because receiver and tight end are those two spots right now where I've gone back and forth multiple times that they keep five receivers and go five tight ends knowing that they have Patterson that can play running back and receiver 
And then also knowing that, you know, with the tight ends that they can get creative or do they keep four tight ends and six receivers and four running backs or, uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those things or do they IR Montgomery and they just keep, you know, straight three running backs or four running backs. And it just, there's so many different options because I'm right there with you. I think especially, I think going into it, it was Ridley or Ridley or Wims, and maybe at this point with everything going on, maybe they're able to able to keep both of them, and maybe it ends up being a situation where they just have to keep those six receivers and, and call it what it is. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how the Bears evaluate their own roster. And it is worth noting that when you're looking at the practice squad, again, for this year and this year only, at least as of right now, there's going to be 16 players that each each team is going to be able to keep on the practice squad. What's nice about that 16 is six of those guys can have unlimited accrued seasons, which means that you can throw, like if you wanted, uh, just you know, throwing out an example, uh, let's say that you grab Prince of Mukamara, who's 31 years old right now, or 30 or 31, whatever he is, and he has, I think he's going into his ninth season. So he has eight seasons accrued. You can actually put him on the practice squad. You have six spots where you can have basically unlimited accrued seasons. There's another four where you can have two or less. And then obviously the last six of those have got to be guys that have one, one or less seasons under their belt. So they can get pretty creative. And that's kind of the thing, right, is they have 80 players on the roster. They need to cut down to 53, but then you add those 16. So when you're actually doing the math on it, they really only, they're only going to have to cut unless they plan on poaching. I think poaching is going to be tough this year with no film. They can only, they're only really going to have to theoretically cut 11 actual players are going to, you know, be cut and they're not coming back in any way, shape or form. So it's going to be interesting to see, how they balance everything, especially offensively, because I feel like offensively there's a lot more questions. Like I said, you know, I think quarterback's pretty well situated. Obviously, Tyler Bray is going to be your guy on the practice squad. I don't think anybody's going to fight them on that. I think, you know, Bray will move the practice squad without an issue. But then again, with the injury at running back, it's not nearly as straightforward with a receiver. Do you keep five or six? If you keep five, is it Wims or Ridley? I assume it would be Ridley just based on draft status and the fact that he's you know, a year less in the league and there's some, maybe some viewed untapped potential. And then a tight end. I mean, there's, there's a lot of names that you pointed it out. You said you were really impressed with this tight end group. I mean, that's the thing is everybody talks about Cole Komet and they talk about Jimmy Graham, but you know, and, and Demetrius Harris. I mean, those are three guys that are a lock on the roster, but then you look at a guy, there's, there's a few guys, JP Holtz, who has a lot of value because he's versatile in terms of he can play fullback. He can play tight end, kind of the H back role. You got Jesper Horstead, who's a big target, who's definitely developing. I mean, he was a receiver two years ago uh, when he was in college. And then even a guy like Aaron so- Eric Saubert, who was actually uh, a late round pick a few years back in the draft where I mean, there's there's an argument to be made for five or six different guys. And obviously, I think that they could keep five. I mean, it, it, it's usually pretty un, – it's unusual for teams to keep more than four. I think they could conceivably keep five if they wanted to. Um, but like I said, you've got six guys on that roster right now or on at that position on the roster where – you could easily make a case for any six of those guys. And obviously, like I said, the first three are locked in. So do you have three guys battling for one spot or you have three guys battling for two? And are you going to be able to sneak that other guy on the practice squad? Because as we know, tight end depth as a whole is always one of those positions where teams all around the league are looking. And I mean, all three of those guys have some sort of tape because they've all played before. So it's going to be interesting. I, I, do you have any, maybe just judging on what you've seen, any surprise cut candidates that you, that maybe a lot of guys or a lot of people, fans are projecting to make a roster that may not actually make the roster? I mean, I would say it's kind of been the, the consensus all off season. I, I would say it'd probably be Javon Wims because like you brought up a good point. I mean, 16 practice squad players and the practice squad rules are so much different this year as well. So in terms of surprise, I mean, I don't know, because, I mean, do you count? So if Javon wins his cut, he's probably going to go to the practice squad. So it's like, you know, he's still going to be on the roster. They'll still probably elevate him eventually. I don't have many. I would say it'd have to be whims, of if anyone. I don't think, you know, looking at this roster, I mean, maybe a veteran like DeAndre Houston Carson or McManus, they, but, they, but they also provide so much special teams value. Are you willing to cut them? Um, I think both rookie – Offensive linemen, both rookie some-round picks, are going to go to the practice squad, honestly. Uh, I, I think they're, they're going to want some veteran depth there. I think Alex Bars will make the team. I really don't have any surprise cuts, honestly. It's actually been very difficult to go through and do this roster projection this year 
just because of the of the new IR or the, not the new IR rules, but the new um, practice squad rules and the the additional two practice squad players and and then the elevated additional two roster spots on game days. So, yeah, I don't really have any. It would have to be Javon Wims if everything that or if anyone and. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a numbers game. It's going to be, you know, who do they, you know, is there, or is there a roster spot that, you know, maybe they can, they can save a number uh, coming down to, you know, when you get down to 52 and 53, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have until September 5th is the deadline to make the cuts. And like you said, they, they only really only have to make a certain amount because of the two extra or the couple of extra practice squad positions. So yeah, let's, um, I do want to talk a little quarterback before we kind of wrap things up here, though, if that's okay. Yeah, well, one one other thing, and this is kind yeah. of something that only somebody with insight being at practice is going to know. What in the hell is going on with the kicker situation? Uh, I, I, we should talk always, about that. That's good. Yeah, well, yeah, because, I mean, you know, Pinheiro is obviously the better of the two kickers, but it doesn't sound like he's healthy, and it sounds like they're going to keep two kickers regardless, even if they have one on the practice squad. Again, either one of those guys can go on the practice squad. I, so here's the thing. I've seen multiple different roster projections from the different beat riders, and it seems to be a very mixed bag of Cairo Santos or Eddie Pinheiro making that final roster and the other guy ending up on the practice squad. And I think a lot of it has to do with health. What's your take? Well, I'll say this. Let me, let me ask you this really quick. I've been at camp pretty much every practice, let's say the past two weeks. I haven't seen Eddie Pinheiro kick once. What would you say to that? Well, I would say that he's clearly not healthy. And another yeah. thing I would say to that is, you know, a lot of people are focused on his knee injury from last year. The reason that he ultimately ended up going on IR with the Raiders and the reason that the Raiders ended up trading him was because of a groin issue that he had his rookie year with the Raiders. This, this groin issue has been an issue before and is clearly coming back, which, again, when you look at it, you start wondering, is he durable enough to be in the NFL? And maybe that's a concern right now. Exactly. And, you know, not seeing him kick, there is some concern. And the Bears are kind of downplaying it. And Matt Nagy was asked again today about Cairo Santos. And it was a two-part question, essentially. And the ending of the question was, I forgot the report, I believe it was Biggs. The ending of the question was, what does he have to do, um, you know, to win this job? And they're talking about Cairo Santos. And Matt Nagy flat out didn't answer that part of the question. He totally, totally avoided that question. He just kind of went on and talked about how he was, you know, if familiar with Santos and the relationship and what he, what he's, um, you know, excuse me, what he's like to see, or, you know, what he's seen so far. I don't know, man. I, I could see them going both ways. Do they keep the second kicker if they really believe in Panero? Um, obviously Santos had the, the really good day on Saturday. He made all of his kicks. I think it was, um, either five for five or six for six, including extra point attempts. I believe his shortest kick was like just over 32 yards or something like that. I, I don't know. I, in my roster projection, I haven't gotten to special teams yet. I'm almost done with it. I would have to pick one of the kickers just because of my number battle. I think for them, it's going to come down to that. I mean, do you have a player that's expendable at the end of the roster that you could save a kicker for? And like you said, man, growing injuries are not easy. And, you know, he's had this injury in the past. He had it last season. He had a knee injury as well. It's just, do you move on from Eddie Pinero? They seem pretty confident in him, but they also, as, as, as we go on now, they seem more and more confident that Cairo Santos could actually be the guy. I think that's actually, you know, kicker is, kicker is definitely interesting for other reasons. And we saw that last off season uh, just because of the whole you know competition. But this year, I mean, the kicker, situation is going to be a very intriguing storyline as we count down here to, to September 5th. Well, <laughs> let, me, let me just say this. If Eddie Pinheiro is not the guy, neither is Cairo Santos. I mean, let's just be, yeah. let's be 100%. So then you have to that. go Pinheiro. You have to go. Yeah, Pinheiro, well, and that's, so that's kind of the thing. I think what this is coming down to is it's not a, 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 that they doubt uh, Pinheiro's ability at this point. It's the fact that they're doubting his durability and frankly, I think they have every reason to because, again, you look at his rookie year was completely lost to a groin injury. He had that job won, and it was lost to a groin injury. And then, obviously, last year he had the knee issue that he, like, pinched a nerve in his knee working out and stuff like that. Like, it's just – it's been one thing after another. And maybe it's a string of bad luck, but the reality is is you have to be healthy to be a kicker. 
And again, he's having the same issue. So my whole thing is if, if this is going to be an issue with Pinheiro, uh, I, you know, at this point, and that's kind of the thing, they, they had a chance at Graham Gonneau. They've had chances at other kickers where they signed for basically next to nothing. And maybe there'll be another round of cuts where they go out and they grab a guy. And I understand the familiarity with Cairo Santos, but at the same time, Soldier Field's not an easy place to kick. And as things get crazier and crazier with the weather, it's going to get worse to kick in. And I just don't think a guy like Santos is going to be the long-term answer. If, if you have him for a stopgap for a week or two until Pinero gets right, cool. But like you said, you guys haven't even seen him kick, and Matt Nagy's refusing to answer the question. So I think regardless, I think even if, let's just say, Pinero is healthy and he is ready to go for week one, I still think they have Santos on the practice squad at this point. you got 16 spots. I don't, I don't see any reason for that. I don't think they're going to keep both guys – on the roster um like actually on the 53 man roster but that's definitely one of those underrated situations where a lot of the focus last year was on the kicker position because everybody thought Trubisky was going to take the next step and obviously we're about to get to the quarterback situation probably up soon after the break but kicker again is not too solid and we've seen it I mean we saw it last year too where Eddie Pinero had a chance to win he had one chance to win the game against Denver he won it he had another chance to win the game against Andy uh, uh, sorry against the uh, man the Chargers so used to call him San Diego uh, and he lost it so again I mean the, the the kicker especially when you're looking at the Bears right now and the fact that I would say you know to set a safe floor you're probably looking at seven nine eight and eight and what if what if it comes down to two or three games where the kicker again is 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 key in determining the game? It's kind of one of those situations where you don't want to have that be the reason to hold you out of the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean the other thing that you know this could be is that they might be getting a look here at Santos, and they go into week one and two with with Panero, and if he gets hurt, they just call Santos right up and say, "All right, come on, we're signing you. You're going to be our kicker now." That could also be very much in play. I, I think I'd lean towards that right now. I think they're just kind of trying to play precautionary with, with Panero and just make sure that they have a guy in here that they've seen and they can bring in for another tryout if they really needed to uh, as kind of a safety blanket. Let's hit the last break of the show and we'll kind of talk a little bit about the quarterback battle because, I mean, right now we really don't know much uh, with these practices being closed. So we'll get into that and then we'll wrap things up right after this. Welcome back in, Bears fans. Before we wrap things up, we have to talk about the quarterback position. Aaron, um, this is a big week. Uh, Tuesday was Mitchell Trubisky's day at the ones in the two-minute drive. Matt Nagy says he led the team down the field, scored a touchdown. He did not say if Trubisky threw the touchdown or if it was a rushing play, but the drive ended in a touchdown. As it stands right now, I still have Nick Foles in the lead. I still think Nick Foles is going to win this job. The tough part is, is that the media cannot go to Hallis Hall for the full practice anymore. And we pretty much just have to listen to what Matt Nagy says on his press conferences. And he's still not giving any solid answers and, you know, maybe tipping his hand at any point. Now, he did have to backtrack because after Saturday's scrimmage, he said he's just not going to name a starter to the public. The Bears have to put out a depth chart. So he's going to have to essentially name a starter or give a hint to who the starter is um, uh, before week one. So he kind of backtracked and said he's going to reveal his starter. For you, you know, based on what I've told you and based on what you've read from other reporters, who's your guy? I, I still think it's going to be uh, – I, I still think it's going to be Foles. I, and, and here's the thing. Again, this – when you when you look at how this is being evaluated and how people are coming to the decision, I mean, ESPN 1000 just had a thing, what was the last week, where they, they asked seven different reporters who had been there who they thought had had the better camp up to this point. Every single one of them said Foles. Maybe not by much, some of them more than others, but everybody agreed that Foles had had the better camp. Then they were asked who they thought was going to be the week one starter, and I think it was – three of the seven or four of the seven. I can't remember. Maybe you can remember, but either one, three three of the seven or four of the seven thought it was going to be Trubisky. So here's the thing, and this is kind of the thing. So everybody for the most part agrees that Foles has had the better camp. Even if it's been barely, he still had the better camp. The thought process behind the final quarterback decision 
is very split for one reason and one reason only because people either think that Nick Foles was brought in and he's going to be the starter unless Trubisky proves otherwise. And then you have the other people who believe that Foles was brought in to push Trubisky and that they're going to give Trubisky one last shot. So unless Foles goes out there and definitively shows that he's the better quarterback, then Trubisky is going to be the guy. I think both of us are in the same camp in believing that Foles was brought in to be the quarterback unless Trubisky took the next step because they don't feel like they can afford to waste another year on waiting to see if Trubisky turns remotely into the quarterback that they expected him to be there in the draft. I think that's both where we're at. And I think that's kind of the split and that's going to be what's going to come down because this has been a lot closer than probably any of us would have expected it to be where the deciding factor in this quarterback competition may not be who was ultimately that much better within the competition itself, but the thought process of did they bring Foles in to push Trubisky or did they bring Foles in to take the job unless Trubisky took it from him? Yeah, and, and you know, the other aspect to think about this is we see the play on the field as reporters. And, you know, the last couple of practices have kind of been mixed. Um, a couple of us have had Foles, a couple of us have had, uh, you know, Trubisky. I think that what's really going to determine it is going to be the behind-the-scenes stuff that we don't see, the, the, the intangibles that Matt Nagy and the coaching staff is talking about um, and, and what goes on in the film room, what goes on, you know, in and out of the huddle, who's kind of leading, who's taking command of things. I can see it totally coming down to that. And going into this, I thought, you know, Mitchell Trubisky is going to have to outplay Nick Foles and, and, and win the starting job and show the Bears – and now it's just kind of like it feels like, like you said, a little bit, you know, maybe the opposite or maybe, you know, Foles just hasn't done enough to put the dagger in. And, you know, during that scrimmage, I thought Foles had the better day. He did miss two um, deep throws to, to Darnell Mooney, but he hit on a lot of his other throws. And, you know, Trubisky, I, for me, it just felt more comfortable watching Nick Foles out there run the offense. Everything seemed calm and cool. With Trubisky, it just, I don't know, man, it feels like it was just, it was more just like erotic and everything or not erotic in that way, but like, just, it was just like, it just, everything was erratic. Sorry. I should have said that word. Uh, everything was just kind of erratic. It was like, you know, all over the place. It didn't look comfortable. It didn't feel comfortable. He's still kind of making the, the same mistakes he has been making. Um, I, I will say this, I've seen some improvement from Trubisky in training camp. I'll admit that. I just, I didn't think it was just enough to really, you know, go out there and win him the job. Yeah, I agree. And and again, I think that that's really what a lot of it comes down to is maybe Trubisky has looked slightly better in camp than he did this time last year. But I think that most of us can agree in saying, regardless of Foles at this point, regardless of Foles, regardless of who the quarter, the other quarterback is that's pushing him, I think we can all agree in saying that Trubisky needed to make vast strides this year. And I think that was kind of the point to bringing in a guy like Foles. He's not going to be good. He's not going to be great. Like he's, he's a average to slightly below average quarterback who's going to play big in big moments. He's a former Super Bowl winning quarterback, Super Bowl MVP. We all know the story. There's no point in getting into that. But the reality is simple. We know what Nick Foles is. We know what the Bears are going to get out of Nick Foles. The problem is, is we also know what the Bears got out of Trubisky, especially last year in a situation where he really needed to take the next step. Not only did he not take the next step, he took two steps backwards. So that's kind of the thing where it's one of those, like you said, he's erratic. And that's the issue is that he is erratic. The, the, him being erratic, him with his decision-making, with his throws, with his mechanics, with everything – if that hasn't changed, the product on the field is not going to change. And, and the concern that I have with some people's logic is throw him out week one and see how he does. Okay, so he's lit, he's, he's lit up the, the Lions on two different occasions now. What is that going to – and one of those was when he was good, when he had a, a pretty good year, and then the other one was last year when he was bad. What is that going to prove? So basically what's going to happen is he's going to go out and he's going to have a good opening game against the Lions. And then what about the next week? What happens if he starts regressing a little bit and they barely win and all of a sudden he regresses a little bit more and they lose and then he regresses again. And all of a sudden the Bears are two and two going into week five and Nick Foles has to step in. That's that's my whole thing is I'm not saying Nick Foles is going to be great or even that good. What I am saying is we know what we're going to get out of Nick Foles and Nick Foles, I think – 
is good enough to get them to nine or 10 wins at this point in time. I don't know that Trubisky is good enough to get them over seven or eight wins. And that's why the floor is set where it's at, because we don't know the decision at quarterback. And obviously that's completely subjective. That's completely opinion based. But I think what is factual about this is Trubisky needed to take a big step. If Trubisky hasn't taken that big step and he hasn't gone out and proven himself to be the clearly better quarterback over and even really the better quarterback this year, uh, this camp over Foles, then what are we actually doing here? I mean, that's the thing is we're talking about guys' jobs possibly being on the line with Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. They need to win. The thing is, is if they win with Nick Foles, okay, Nick Foles doesn't have to be the starter going into 2021. You can draft a quarterback. You can find a way to get a quarterback, whether it's Derek Carr, whether that's somebody else that maybe comes available. Who knows? The point being is if Trubisky isn't the guy, he's not the guy. You've given him three years to be the guy. He's proven to this point that he can't be that guy. If he hasn't improved drastically over what we saw last year in camp, then what's the point? We know what we're going to get out of Foles. And that's kind of the thing is sometimes you have to play it safe and say, okay, this is a sunk cost at this point. If he has to come in at some point during the regular season, okay, fine. But at this point in time, if he's not far and away better than Foles, then personally I think Foles needs to get that first shot. Even if he can't play the full 16, neither one of these guys have played full 16 game seasons in quite a while. Or Actually what Foles has done it once in his career or none, no, no times. It doesn't matter. Point yeah. being is yep. – both of these guys have durability issues, both, whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is, is neither one of these guys have played 16 games. Give me the more proven quarterback to go out there and try to get off to a hot start where the schedule is going to be more soft in the first half of the season than it is the second half. You cannot afford to get off to a slow start. You cannot afford to get off to a two and two start. You, you just can't. You, you, you have to put yourself in the best position to win. And if that means going with the more average quarterback, the taller of the two midgets, that's fine. Do it. At this point in time, if, if Foles isn't the guy and Trubisky isn't the guy, the Bears are screwed this year anyway. And if, if Foles has been the better, even if he's been slightly the better guy at this point, he has a more proven track record. Even if there's no upside in doing this long term, you give yourself the best chance to win this year and get off to the best start. That's my mindset. Obviously, the Bears have said that they're going to make a decision next week, and it sounds like Matt Nagy kind of redacted on his original statement of saying that they weren't going to make a public announcement, period. It sounds like now that they're going to make a public announcement next week, I would guess probably around Wednesday. But, I mean, let's be real. Um, we're going to know who the starter is probably this weekend at some point, and I would be pretty surprised right now if it's not Nick Foles. Yeah, I'm with you. And for me, this is, man, it's just worst case scenario. It's neither guy really stood out enough to really make me feel comfortable at camp, but they have a legit quarterback that can run this offense. And I've told you multiple times, this is just, it's worst case scenario. And, and I have a feeling that it's, we're going to be in for some mediocre quarterback play. And if it, is Trubisky starting week one or Foles? I think either of them are going to be on a short leash, and I'll stick with this. I think we're going to see both of them at some point, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope this is not the case. I hope one of them wins a job and, and takes takes it from week one and, and leads the Bears to the playoffs, but I think we're in for a, uh, another year of mediocrity at the quarterback position. I would agree, and it's unfortunate, but, yep. you know, unfortunately when you go out and with your quarterback to challenge Trubisky is Nick Foles. I mean, this is this is what you get. That's the thing. I mean, he wasn't high on, on any of our lists, and, it, you know, they made the move. They've kind of made their bed with this quarterback battle, and I hate to say it, I hope they don't waste a, another really good damn defense. That would just be worst-case scenario right there. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. So I guess we'll – We'll see what happens. I mean, at this point, we just got to hope for the best, whoever the quarterback is. And again, I, I have no rooting interest in this. My rooting interest is the Bears having good quarterback play this year or even passable quarterback play, better quarterback play than they had last year so they can get back in the playoffs and give themselves a shot. Again, my whole thing is I just think that Foles is a better option for that. And, you know, we'll find out one way or another within the next few days. I know people are very militant. I mean, there's obviously a lot of people who feel the same way we do. But there's also a lot of militant people on both sides that say it should be Foles regardless or it should be Trubisky regardless. I'm not saying that. I just simply think that Foles gives them a better chance to win. I felt that going in. And obviously with training camp, it has gone the way it is. Even if some people want to say it was even, that's still not good enough. And that's kind of something that we laid out in the very beginning, that, that Trubisky needed to be far and away the better superior player. He has not been that at very, very, very best case scenario for him. You could make an argument that it was close and maybe it was even. 
But I mean, the consensus the consensus seems to be that Foles was the better player during camp from what everybody could see, even if he was barely the better player, he was still the better player. And at that point you make the decision, you go with Foles and you live with the consequences one way or another, Ryan Pace took another swing, even if it was a half hearted swing at the quarterback position, I don't think it's going to work. Hopefully we're both wrong on this. Hopefully the Madden projection comes true. Foles has an MVP caliber season. They win the Super Bowl and they, and they beat the crap out of the chiefs in the Super Bowl. And we can erect a statue of uh, Nick Foles and whatever, but (laughs) Wouldn't that you know, be something, though? I, I mean, it, it, it Foles has won a, a Super Bowl before. I don't think it's very likely. But, again, I mean, every Bears fan wants this team to win. You know, that's really what it comes down to. And everybody's got a different idea of who they, who they think is the best quarterback to make that happen. But the reality is we all want this team to win one way or another. So, hopefully they do. I mean, that's really all there is left to say about it. And the next podcast that we're going to be recording, there's a pretty good chance we're going to know exactly who the yep. quarterback is. And I will say this, man, it's going to be the year 2050 and you and I are still be doing a podcast. And we're still going to be complaining about the quarterback position. That's yep. just how, uh, this is how it is for Bears fans. I agree. Uh, Aaron, uh, let's wrap things up. You can tell everyone where they can follow you on Twitter at. Yep. You can follow me at Aaron Lemming NFL and you can read my work on the bearreport.com. Awesome. Yeah. You can follow the bear report on bear report on Twitter at just bear report. I'm sorry. You follow me on Twitter at, at Zach Z A C K underscore Pearson. Aaron will have his NFC North preview and bears preview out this week. Uh, we'll get that up on the site. Make sure you read that. I'll have my roster projection out and a lot more stuff for week one. As I was just under two weeks away. I'm excited. I know you're excited, Aaron. Um, yeah. Until next week, everyone stay safe and we'll talk to you later. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.